Today's Medicine Proppers are a mixture of stern warnings and tender consolations. The stern warnings are in the Epistle and the Gospel, while the consolations may be found in other texts, especially in the Communion verse, which speaks of our close union with Jesus in sacramental communion. In the Epistle, St. Paul points to the example of the infidelities of the Israelites and how we would not, we should not, rather, imitate them. In the Gospel, Jesus prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem, summarizing its attendant horrors, which constitutes something of a foreshadowing of hell. I said it was a foreshadowing of the end of the world, which indeed it is, but even it's a foreshadowing of hell. In a way, today's colic steps into the breach between warnings and consolations, between strong admonitions and comforting promises of joy. Without any irony, we ask God that we might ask him rightly for what we truly need. We ask God that we might ask him rightly for what we truly need. We petition him that our petitions to him will be holy, that it, according to his adorable will. In such wise, we will be united to him, for it is only through such union that we will be spared the dreadful things about which we are warned. So sometimes God shakes us up. Sometimes our Lord preaching um, uh, has the intention, we might say literally, of scaring the hell out of us um, so that the hell is driven out of us and so that we might uh, seek holiness. Uh, Fear has a place in the spiritual life. There's no doubt about that. Um, It cannot be the exclusive uh, motive of the spiritual life. It is insufficient as a, as a motive of the spiritual life if that's all there is for, cer- for certain. Uh, so I think I omitted to actually read the prayer. Here it is. May thy ears of mercy be open, O Lord, to the prayers of thy suppliants, and that thou mayest grant the things desired to thy petitioners. Make them to ask for those things which are pleasing to thee. Now think about that collect against this backdrop of the destruction of Jerusalem that our Lord's talking about in the gospel. Um, And the stern warnings in the epistle where um, our Lord talks about all of the infidelities of the Jews in the Old Testament and how we shouldn't be like them. And he says these things were not written for them, that they were written for us upon whom the end of the world has come. So uh, now this prayer, I'll repeat it. Set this prayer against the backdrop of, hey, don't imitate the faithless Jews in the New Testament who betrayed God and were punished. Don't imitate, and he, and he makes reference to the episode of the golden calf where they actually engaged in idolatry right after they were miraculously delivered from the Egyptians. And they're still in, in, uh, uh, they're still in Egypt. They're still in there on Sinai or in Arabia, whatever, not far. And, and do, while Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, they're having an orgy and worshiping the golden calf. It's an orgy. St. Paul does not go into detail. He's chased. He says, as it is written, the people uh, sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It's a, it, it, the, the worship of Apis uh, the, the, was what they were engaged in, something that they had learned in Egypt. Apis was this this um, this calf god. The molten calf was Apis, and they're worshiping this thing, and they're engaged in impure acts. This is what Moses found when he goes down there, and he throws the tablets down, sort of literally laying down the law, um, and the people are punished. Now, so Saint Paul's saying, "Hey, look, this was not written. This was written for us, so that we might know how not to act." And then we have this, this fearful gospel about the destruction of Jerusalem. So this prayer, again, sort of hang it as a pendant against this dramatic background. 
May the ears of thy mercy be open, O Lord, to the prayers of thy suppliants, and that thou mayest grant the things desired to thy petitioners, make them to ask for those things which are pleasing to thee. If you want to know the church's teachings on grace, and you don't want to have to read volume after volume after volume of theological tomes on the doctrine of grace, one of the ways to sort of um, interiorize the church's teachings on grace in a practical way is to read the church's own prayers. Because if you want to know what Orthodox Catholicism teaches about grace, you will find it here. May the ears of thy mercy be open to the prayers, excuse me, may the ears of thy mercy, O Lord, be open to the prayers of thy suppliants. Okay, so we're saying, okay, we're going to pray, please open your ears. But then we say this, and that thou mayest grant the things desired to thy petitioners, make them, make them, to ask, fuck eos, fuck, from facere, literally make, make them to ask for those things which are pleasing to thee. So what we're asking God is, please give us the grace to ask for what pleases you so that our prayers might be answered. So you want to know, gee, why are my prayers getting answered? Well, maybe you're not praying for something that pleases God, or maybe the thing that you think will please God isn't the thing that will please God. Maybe something else will. Maybe you're patiently bearing with the thing you're praying to be delivered from is exactly what he wants so that you might practice, oh, I don't know, the patience of Job, huh? Uh, and um, the, uh, the, the, the faith of Abraham, huh? and um, maybe acquire the wisdom of Solomon. Today I, I told somebody <laughs> to do what I'm doing. I need all three, the faith of Abraham, the patience of Job, and the wisdom of Solomon. Um, uh, I, 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 you know, be careful if you pray for patience because God will definitely send you occasions uh, to practice patience. And remember, patience is the ability to suffer well. Okay, um, so enough about that. So th- this prayer is stepping into the breach between consolations and dire warnings, and it's giving us a language by which we might approach God and say, okay, we know what will happen if we're not faithful to you. Give us the grace even to ask for those things which please you so that our prayers might be answered. Um, that is a humble prayer. And, of course, it's the church herself praying. And we can always be assured that when it's the church's prayer, it's safe to pray. Okay, so I think I'll do one more Sunday, and then maybe we'll dive into some some of the sanctual cycles. So let's go back one more Sunday into the uh, eighth Sunday after Pentecost. Um, okay, so... Duh, 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 duh. I won't, I won't read the Latin. Ever generously grant to us, we ask, O Lord, the spirit of thinking those things which are right and doing those things which are favorable, that we who without thee cannot exist may have the strength to live according to thy will. Okay, so this this is very scriptural. There's a lot of scripture in the background here. Um, so let's see if I picked up on it. any of the I did, actually. Um Okay, to think what is right and to do what is favorable so that we might live according to God's will or according to thee, to be quite literal about it, are no small things. All good begins in the mind. We must first know the truth before we can do the good. That is the order. We are asking in this prayer for what the theologians call God's enlightening grace of the intellect and his strengthening grace of the will. 
These are two categories that we find in theological books talking about the doctrine of grace. Moreover, we are asking for the Spirit to think and to do these things. This is that spirit of adoption of sons, which St. Paul describes in today's epistle from Romans 8, quote, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. End quote. It is that spirit according to which we must live as opposed to living according to the flesh, for to do the latter is to die. And that's me making a reference to Galatians, I think it's chapter 5. The gospel from Luke 16 is the parable of the unjust steward whereby we are admonished not to imitate the steward's cunning dishonesty, but his shrewdness. The lesson is that we ought prudently to use the resources available to us in doing good, just as he used his office in doing evil. This particular parable would suffice as a commentary on the doing part of our oration, that is, doing those things which are favorable. We cannot even exist without God, the first cause. A fortiori, that is to say, by a stronger argument, we cannot think or do what is good without his gracious assistance. While I feel like a broken record in making this anti-Pelagian point, it is still good to bring it out explicitly. Because we need grace and cannot be saved without it, we must pray for it. The Church not only shows us how to pray for it, but she does so for us, or better, she leads us in so doing in her sublime liturgical prayers. Okay, so again, you know, we don't think we can save ourselves. This is a Protestant parody uh, or Protestant caricature of the Catholic doctrine of grace. And if again, if you look at the way the church prays, if there was some Protestant who was accusing Catholics of being Pelagians, um, I think uh, if he actually studied the, the, the way the church herself prays, and he has goodwill. He would he would at least realize that he's wrong about that. I mean, hopefully he'll he'll be a convert because he'll see the truth of the faith. But to, to accuse Catholics of thinking that we can save ourselves and that we don't need God's grace is patently absurd because that's not the way Catholics pray. At least not that that's not the way that the Church prays, and that that that's not the way that the Church enjoins us to pray. So I'm going to skip some of the other ones that I had selected. Uh, and skip to some prayers, some uh, uh, orations for, for saints' feasts. 